Welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss biblical and theological issues relating to life and ministry. This podcast is a ministry of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. To learn more about Central Seminary, visit our website at www.centralseminary.edu. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host. Okay, well, welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Today we have Dr. Ryan Martin with us. He has a PhD from Central Seminary in Historical Theology, and he's going to talk to us about Jonathan Edwards. Now, uh, Ryan, you just got done recording or uh, giving some lectures here at Central Mm -hmm. Seminary. I did. Before we get into Edwards, uh, one question I'd like to ask our guests, are there any books that you're reading now or books that are maybe coming out or that you hope to buy that you could <laughs> share with us that you're excited about? Yeah, I'm working through uh, Peter von Maastricht's uh, Theoretical Practical Theology, uh, Volume 2, published by Reformation Heritage Books, just recently translated into English from the Latin by Todd Rester, edited by Joel Beakey, and uh, it's been great. I'm about uh, 40-60% through uh, volume 2 of three volumes. Volume 3, when we're recording this interview, was released about a month ago, and I just got that in the mail, so I'm thankful for that. And then I'm also reading uh, right now, among other things, uh, James Montgomery Boyce's Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace, and that's been good. He's going through, he goes through the five solas, but he also gives some critiques of where evangelicalism is headed. He's writing it in the 90s before he passes away. And it's really actually quite prescient of some of the issues that still are dogging a lot of uh, a lot of faithful churches that are out there. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, let's talk about your book. So, uh, your book title I have it here: Understanding Affections in the Theology of Jonathan Edwards: The High Exercises of Divine Love. Yeah, that's a slight revision of my dissertation that I wrote for Central Seminary. And with uh, the help of Ken Minkema and uh, the people at TNT Clark in London, I was extremely grateful to them that they were willing to take uh, my manuscript and publish it in, uh, in their series of studies on in systematic theology. And it's been out for a couple years now. and. It's uh, it, the hardback's really, really expensive. The, the paperback and the Kindle are a little bit more affordable. It's, I think, intended more for an academic audience. But hopefully, I read it or I wrote it, I should say, uh, with the intent of being clear for anyone who is informed to be able to read and understand it. Okay, and once again, that's published by TNT Clark. I know I've seen it on Amazon, yeah. probably some other places. Yeah, it's yeah, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and uh, yeah, you can get in in ebook format if you'd like. And paperback again is going to be just you know under forty bucks. Um, sometimes you can nab the hardback for an affordable price. Sometimes it's just way too expensive. Well, you just got done giving lectures on Jonathan Edwards, and uh, I'm assuming most of this came from your dissertation or the book or a combination of both. Yeah, a little bit. Um, there are definitely themes that I cover in the dissertation in the book uh, that were there today. 
but there's also some new work that I've done. And uh, the first session what had a lot of new study and uh, a, a different approach uh, to to it by looking at Maastricht and then looking at some of the other Reformation theologians that would have informed Edwards' own ideas of the affections through the prism of Maastricht, really, who is Edwards' favorite theologian. And again, that uh, the fact that these editions by Reformation Heritage are coming out is, uh, makes it a lot easier to access Maastricht without having to read it in the, in the Latin. So why don't we start off here, and maybe you could just share with us, how did Edwards become a particular topic of interest for you? Well, I read Religious Affections during my MDiv, and I read it really slowly, which is a great way to read it. I read it, I would read it with my personal Bible study in the morning, every day, like a page, and just really slowly so that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I had to rush through it because it was hard to simply understand Edwards and the English that he was writing in. It's, it, it can be difficult at times. And it's definitely not something you can really speed read with a lot of profit. So I just took it really slowly as a young man, and it was a real joy and delight and, uh, to read it and informative for me. And then during my PhD studies, I got a book recommended to me, uh, Thomas Dixon, From Passions to Emotions. And that book opened up a, what I thought might be a possible area of study. And then after talking to some other Edward, Edwardsian scholars, Ken Minkema at Yale, he affirmed this this would be something that you could do and make a contribution. So I decided to pursue it and uh, became learning more and more at, through the course of the his, my my studies and and my work here at Central in studying Edwards and his thought and his life. Most of us who've read that book uh, walked away. Uh, uh, is affected the right word? Uh, changed. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but maybe uh, maybe not to the degree that that you have, where you made it your life's work to study the background of Jonathan Jonathan Edwards. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the affections, and maybe you could give us an introduction. What are they? How did Edwards conceptualize them? Well, affections for Edwards are the more vigorous and lively exercises of the will of the soul. And so he did not uh, find affections in their at their core to be that far different from the exercises of the will. So in his idea of the soul, there is the soul has understanding, the ability to understand things, to see it, to apprehend. And then there's a there's a value judgment that whether this thing is good or evil, whether I like it or I don't like it, whether I want it or don't want it. And that's what the will does. The will says I like it or I don't, I love it or I hate it. The thing that my understanding beholds. And the when we are more vigorously engaged with our liking or disliking, our loving or hating, that's an affection for Edwards. Now, you've talked about in, in your lectures about how he uh, would differentiate the, uh, the affection from how it moves us, the, I forget the terminology you use, but the physical aspects. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, Edwards would say that every, in an embodied creature like us, we have 
an inner and an outer man, a soul and a body, if you will. Uh, in embodied creatures like us, it's really impossible for us to have affections without some kind of bodily effect. Um, but uh, those are not the affections. The affections, he would say, are the movements of the soul or the will, and that that there are bodily effects in embodied creatures that accompany those affections. And that's the same kind of thing that we read in von Maastricht. Uh, in Maastricht, uh, Edwards' uh, theological um, hero, if you will, he they both would say they're not, the, the bodily effects that the feelings or whatever are not essential to affections. Angels can have affections. And, and this wasn't unique to, this was un, not a unique way of thinking. Many people thought this way and would distinguish the effects that affections have from what they are properly. And again, what they are properly are when the soul wants something strongly and when it loves something strongly. And I, I think, I, I know I personally was, was helped when you described affections as God having affections. Yeah. And maybe that might help us sometimes when we think of feelings. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the things that we might experience as humans, but uh, the affections are things that God has. Absolutely. And that was affirmed by many Reformed theologians, including Edwards and, and Maastricht. And they still affirmed impassibility that God can't suffer and that he doesn't certainly have any bodily needs or desires like we have with our passions. Uh, but, uh, but they would have, uh, they, they still believe that God had affections um, according to the scriptures, but God's affections have none of the imperfections that our affections have. They're perfect, they are, and God is still unchanging. He's immutable, to use the theological word for unchanging. He um, he, there's no imperfection with God and his affections, but because God wills and wants, um, so to speak, uh, there's no, it, because of that, there are affections in God. And von Maastricht affirmed that in the, um, in, uh, the first section, the second chapter, um, I think it's chapter 15, section 15 after that of his uh, theoretical practical theology. Now, how might affections be different from some other terms that are pretty common today? Uh, outside of theological circles, you don't hear a lot of people use the word affections, mm -hmm. uh, unless except to say I'm affectionate, you know, for someone. Uh, but we do use words like feelings yeah. and emotions. Uh, are they the same category? Are they three totally separate categories? Uh, how would maybe Edwards talk about feelings and emotions in relation to affections? That's a good question, and part of the problem in answering it is I don't know that we always know what we mean by emotions and feelings. Not a lot of people define them. People can mean different things by, by using these terms. So in general, I, I think emotions are typically understood to be quasi-cognitive feelings with a heavy emphasis on the feelings. And so I don't think it's helpful to use either emotion or feeling for affection because for Edwards, again, Feelings aren't part, aren't necessary to affections, even though all embodied creatures have them with them. The affections are the motions of the will. And the, um, and the, emo and, and affections in Edwards's thought had, had all, were altogether having to do with what we want, what we will. And it's not, we don't often think about emotions in connection with our will or 
Sometimes we'll think about it in connection with our desires, but not very specifically or precisely. We certainly don't make them make the willing part of emotions the emphasis. And so I, I don't think it's helpful for these reasons and for others to say, well, Edwards, when he talks about affections, means what we mean when we say emotions. I think we're losing a lot in translation when we do that. I think it's better to come to Edwards on his own terms because he speaks pretty clearly, I think, in the end on what these terms mean and what he means by affections. And because there's so many differences, I don't think it's helpful. Sometimes I think it actually distorts what Edwards means when we simply replace affections with emotions without, especially if we're not carefully defining emotions, which most often that's what's happening. Yeah, and you've talked about this in your lecture because you talked about different types of, of loves. I might love my wife, and I might love pizza, and I might love yeah. going to church, but uh, they're not the same type of love. Absolutely not. Yeah, and the way, I, yeah, the way I love truth is the way is different from the way I love a piece of cheesecake. The way my my heart loves the truth when when it when it sinks in and, and when it really ha there's a conviction there about the truth of God's word, that love I have for that truth is altogether different from my stomach growling when I walk in the door at 6 p.m. ready for supper uh, That's and want supper right away. It's just an altogether different kind of love. And it would be an insult to my wife to say, yeah, I love, I love you and I love, I don't have a dog, but I love, you know, Fido. The same way there, that would be an insult. Well, how much more to the infinite God when we, when we, when if we equate the loves that we have for this world and sense pleasure with the love that we have for Him and His truth? Yeah, and I think in our in our own uh, living out our belief system, sometimes we can get those loves confused. Oh yeah, that's one of the reasons we sin. Yeah, absolutely, because we we are. We, we want something, we love something more than we love God. And that's, it's, really a, it's really a contest of loves um, in the end that moves us to sin. And this would, uh, may, maybe this kind of comes into some common uh, talk today when it comes to the counseling field of idolatry. Yeah, certainly. I think that's, I think that's absolutely right, yeah. Um, that's, that's really what we're talking about is misplaced love, disordered loves. And above all of our loves, we ought to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're, we're imperfect in this. And thankfully, the grace of Jesus Christ takes our imperfect love and purifies it and, and makes it whole, um, but, and then sanctifies it and actually improves the quality of our love. But it's still always a wrestling within us of who's going to be king and lord of our heart and life. This thing over here that's not God or that, that contradicts God's will for us according to his revealed word and what God says, this is what I want you to do, um, whether or not he's above those other loves that we have. And when, he, when, when, he, when he's displaced, it's idolatry. I, I, think, I think this is where uh, it's so important to understand uh, the history and learn from historical theology because even at Central, we have we just started our Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling, yeah. and you can see over this discussion those two ideas coming together and, and learning from each other of, of affections and idolatry yeah. and how our, our loves uh, are inordinate affections, yeah. as Scripture would, would talk about, how they just, just shape the way we live our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, 
And it's really discipleship, ultimately. We're growing, Lord willing, in our love for God and Christ, the scriptures, the people of God, uh, the church, uh, the, the things of God. And, and we're, again, putting other loves that are good and even necessary sometimes in their proper place within that world. In the end of one of your sessions, you gave us kind of a pastoral challenge. I'd like you to maybe expand on that a little bit more. What are some of the implications of this when it comes to how we do ministry and attractional model versus other models of, of church and preaching? Where are we trying to hit people, so yeah. to speak? What are we trying to reach? Well, it's interesting. I, I brought up 1 Corinthians 1 where uh, Paul says that if if he would have preached the gospel, uh, preached the message of the cross with words of eloquent wisdom, he would have robbed the cross of its power. There are times, what Paul's saying there is that he could have done appropriate ministry, something he's commanded to do, which is preach the gospel, and he could have done it in a way that would, act, would have actually robbed the cross of its power. I think it's important that we who have ministry, we who are ministers or pastors or counselors or assistant pastors or just doing the ministry of the church, that we are committed to what God has given us to do and trust him with the results and not think that we can, that we're going to produce results in doing something this way or that way, that it's more important that we do things the way God has told us to do them and when we do that, we're actually giving power to his spirit and to the word that he's given to us. And we're showing our confidence in him rather than our abilities, our eloquence, to use Paul's words in First Corinthians one seventeen. And this gives glory to God. I think it's dehumanizing if we believe that we can grow people's love for God when we appeal to their lower loves. And even though I, w I don't think that it's, I wouldn't ever advocate that churches completely ignore, you know, physical needs, material needs, health needs of the body, and provisional needs in, in folks. Uh, that's clearly part of what it means to love one another. But yet, if we think that we're going to help people love Christ more by, by trying to make the Christian religion more appealing in the way that worldly things are appealing to them, we're actually undermining the work that we're doing. Because loving the unseen Christ is a spiritual work that God must do graciously through the word of God in the lives of his people. I think it's he does that through the things he's commanded us to do, which is preaching the word, praying together, singing together, fellowshipping together, the, the Lord's table, observing that together. This is the way God builds our love for him. Daily Bible study, daily, daily prayer, family devotions, family Bible study, family singing together, family singing together. These are the ways that God, over time, strengthens us spiritually, and this, and we need to trust Him with the results. And I think too many, too many churches actually appeal to, and, and sometimes they mean well, but they're they're appealing to people's worldly cares, worldly loves, in order to try to make them then love Christ. It's just, it's just a non-starter. We need the Word of God to work in people through the Spirit of God. And so and we ought, to, we ought to lift that up and that kind of ministry up. Yeah, and that's, that's so important because what you, I've heard it said, what you attract people with is what's going yeah, to keep them. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And so if we, 
if we make people think that church is a lot of fun and you know you're going to get a free meal and it's you know it's just like everything else in the world then we're actually undermining the the spiritual affections we want to inculcate in folks ultimately mm. i love this talk because we started uh, high and lofty with the affections and now we're talking about how you do church ministry and it's very very practical let's talk about edwards a little bit from his background and i think you touched on this very briefly in one of your lectures about his education and i don't know if this is the answer to the question here but was there something in his background his family his ministry his training that you've seen that you think maybe drove him to have such a focus or emphasis on the affections I do. I think that his education in the Protestant Reformed tradition was was hugely informative to why he placed such an emphasis on the affections. You can't help but while reading Richard Sibbs or Thomas Manton or um, John Preston or William Ames, any of these guys, but come away with a sense that love for God is very important in the in religious things in Christianity, and I, and Edwards knew that tradition well. He received a thorough education in Protestant Reformed theology, um, and he I think he he was trying to promote it and in, and uh, and carry it forward his whole life and ministry, and that so that's part of it. I think part of it is his own experience as as a true believer who had himself um, great affection for God, who really truly loved the Lord with all that he could, even though he was a sinful man like all of us. I think also his study of Scripture bore this out, that he knew the Bible well, and in his understanding of the Word of God, he couldn't help but come to the conclusion that affections are important. I mean, that's part of what the first part of religious affections is all about. He's making a biblical case for the for the fact that true religion in great part consists of those affections. Okay, thanks for that answer. Let's talk about the effect Edwards maybe has had or has been having on uh, on the, let's just say, the conservative evangelical world today because he's kind of gotten a little popular. I mean, I know my wife's grandmother goes to a conservative Presbyterian church, and she, she's read, when I was going through seminary, she said how she's read the works of Jonathan Edwards, and oh. you hear people talk about him. Can you talk about the effect he's had on our world today? Well, Edwards has had an effect for, for decades, for centuries. Um, he, I don't think there's, uh, you know, it ebbs and flows, but there's always been a following of people who've been trying to carry forward the mantle of Edwards in some respects. You could argue that I'm trying to do that, even though I'm a Baptist, and uh, you know, I, I wouldn't agree with Edwards on every jot and tittle. But I think there is a there is a, a, a popularity to Edwards, and part of it, I think, is due to the fact that he is extraordinarily brilliant. He is America's greatest theologian. Some people call him America's greatest philosopher. That's ever been uh, part of the United States or or the or, the, or North America, and the United States wasn't around when he was when he was ministering, of course. But he is hugely influential, and 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 I think it's in part because he is such a lucid and careful thinker, and he is he's really uh, he's really a profound uh, profound man. 
and and that continues to resonate. You know, on, in the on, in popular evangelicalism, he is inspired. I think probably some of what was a a new resurgence of Calvinism among young evangelicals. He's he's been attributed with that. Uh, Cal, uh, Jonathan Edwards' is "My Homeboy" T-shirts have been worn by people, and so he's influential in that way. The worship movement, you can read defenses of contemporary worship and see Edwards is being claimed as uh, as a defender of that. I don't think that's a good reading of Edwards, but uh, but people continue to, to go back to him. And, and yet there are people who, at the same time, are anti-Edwards, who think that he was actually uh, more of a problem than a help, uh, that he was too speculative in his thinking, that uh, too far removed from Reformed Orthodoxy, so to speak. And yet uh, it just is somewhat remarkable that Edwards is still uh, being, is still so resonant today among evangelicals in the United States of America. But it, I think it should be added that he is being studied all over the world. There are Jonathan Edwards centers in, in, uh, in the Far East, in Brazil, in the Netherlands, in uh, Michigan and in California and in New Haven, Connecticut, there are, there are these Edwards centers for studying Jonathan Edwards all over, and so it's a uh, it's it's a it's a continuing phenomenon all over the world. Are there ways that you see that we might tend to misunderstand Edwards' teaching today? I think a little bit. I, I have alluded to some of those already. I don't think it's helpful, for example, as like I said, to compare. Or to, to say his affections are emotions. Uh, I think it's important if we if we put emotions as a stand-in for his affections that we qualify that and we show how there are some differences. Uh, I think there's ways in which scholars are sometimes getting Edwards wrong. I think he was a lot closer to the reform tradition he inherited than some people think he was. And uh, so whether it's in scholarship or in, in popular circles, I think there's always a, t a temptation to misappropriate him to misuse him, uh, and I think I think we we ought to just be careful to read him on his own terms. And when we do that, we're going to find there's some things we disagree with Edwards on that that he's not inspired. It's, it's, he's not 100% accurate, and yet even amidst those errors, he's human. We can appreciate a lot of what he was teaching and writing if we're careful. But he, he's a great defender of the faith. Uh, he's a great apologist. He's concerned about a lot of the same questions that are going to be showing up uh, against Christianity uh, in the decades and centuries to follow, and and he he wants to do so in a careful, rational, and biblical way. So suppose we have some listeners who want to learn more. Maybe they want to get into Jonathan Edwards a little bit, read some of his writings. Where would you recommend that they start? Well, I would probably recommend uh, beginning in... Uh, probably Charity and Its Fruits, I think, would be a great place to start. It's a series of sermons on 1 Corinthians 13, on the love chapter that he preached while his church was uh, experiencing a lot of divisions and strife. And he really presses in on the nature of true Christian love. And I think it's it's not hard to understand. And one of his most favorite, famous sermons are comes up at the very last of those sermons, Heaven is the World of Love. Is a world of love is the name of it, and so it's a great place to go for Edwards. That's pretty accessible. Religious affection's good, but be patient. Just go through it slowly. And uh, 
uh, life and life of David Brainerd is uh, one that has been really inspirational and for a lot of missionaries over the years as well. Uh, and then his sermons, a lot of his sermons, his sermons on justification by faith alone, on the excellency of Christ is a great sermon. Um, I even found really helpful um, the justice of God and the damnation of sinners. Uh, it's a series of sermons where Edwards tries to show that when God sends sinners to hell, he is good and just and even there worthy of glory. It's a hard doctrine, and Edwards is wrestling with it, and I think he comes out on the on the right end of things. All right, well, thanks for those recommendations, and thanks for talking with us today. This was uh, a really good discussion. One question that I like to ask our guests is, are there any works of God that you'd just like to praise him for, either in your life or your family's life, or someone you know, uh, just a work of God that you want to give thanks for? I'm thankful for Christian friends, for pastor friends, for people in the ministry uh, who continue to be faithful uh, by God's grace to the work that God has called them to do. Uh, I'm thankful to be in ministry myself. It's a gracious work of God to give me that privilege of being a pastor. And I'm thankful for my family, for my wife and kids. They're, they're most gracious gifts of God. Well, thanks for, for sharing that, Ryan, and thanks for being on with us today. It was really my pleasure. Um, I want to just say hi to my, my church, Columbiaville Baptist Church. Give, give them my greetings from afar over here in, in Minnesota. But uh, Jared, it's been a real pleasure to, to be with you today, and thanks for your interest and your questions and the conversation. I appreciate it. Yes, and thank you as well. Next time on the Central Seminary Podcast. How can we help people who are suffering? Wow, there's something different going on here. The counsel that Christians need is the revelation that God has revealed. The difference between an informational culture and a transformational culture. Christians are going to be inundated with all kinds of things from the world. Walk slowly through the crowd. People can be really tempted to believe that all of their problems can be solved if they just know more. It's going to get a little messy. We put an ad in the paper that said free biblical counseling. Ministry can become disjointed. And the community care involvement becomes a secondary element. What? You don't need the word? This is where the sick come. This is where the hurting come. Pastor, I didn't, I didn't need the word right now. That's not what I needed. You get both revelation and transformation. I've heard counseling described as heart-level discipleship. And help people depend on Christ instead of the wise sage. Why the church is the best place for biblical counseling. It can easily separate pastors and congregation members from one another. Look for our next episode on the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Seminary Podcast. Our mission at Central Seminary is to assist New Testament churches in equipping spiritual leaders for Christ-exalting biblical ministry. Since its founding in 1956, Central Seminary has sought to provide serious students of God's Word with robust theological education as they prepare for ministry. We have many graduates around the world who are serving in countless ways to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Find out more at our website, 
centralseminary.edu.